Veterinary unions are on the rise. This week, we are once again visited with Liz Houston to talk to us about what you need to know about veterinary unionization and how this could improve the veterinary profession on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And once again, we are talking about labor unions for veterinary professionals. And this week, we are once again so pleased to bring you one of the leading members of this crusade, Liz Houston, a CVT from out west. And she really has been instrumental in getting this issue out in front of our profession. And we're going to talk about the impacts this may have, whether or not you're a union, but how it can benefit the entire veterinary profession. Before we get into that conversation, which I'm super excited about, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, I am so grateful to have once again Liz Houston on the show. I mean, she has just been a force of nature when it comes to all things to help veterinary technicians, in my opinion. That's the truth. I mean, whether it's cannabis, I mean, what tough topics doesn't Liz Houston tackle, Becky? I mean, any any of them? I Well, you know, the thing about it is, is I think she is willing to conversate on just about any topic, which is yes. a rarity. She is also uh, willing to do her homework. She's willing to have open and honest dialogues. And so I think it is someone um, who is very unique to the industry, who has very high standards and who we're always excited to, to have on here. Yeah. And today we're going to talk a lot about, you know, her group, the National Veterinary Professionals Union. We're going to talk about, you know, what that's what's been happening there since they started in 2017. But without further ado, let's get right to our guest, Becky. Liz, thank you for joining us once again on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Thank you so much for having me back. I am so excited to come and talk to you both. I um, I love your podcast, and I'm just thrilled to be here. Gosh, well, well, we feel the same way about you, but there's been a lot of talk in the past couple of years, uh, and, and honestly longer than that, but just about the poor working conditions. In fact, if there's one universal theme that I've heard from veterinary associates, from veterinary technicians, veterinary paraprofessionals, consumer, you know, whatever, everybody that works in the vet spaces, they feel underappreciated, underpaid, they don't have license protection, no credentials are preserved. I mean, you know, there's all these issues that come right back to down to kind of what unions do, right? Yeah, I think so. Yes, I think that there is huge overlap between the underutilization, the underappreciation of credentialed veterinary technicians, veterinary assistants, veterinary front desk staff, all of the group, the whole team of veterinary professionals. I think the issues that they are facing uh, are definitely addressed by unionization. And these are issues that are being talked about at high levels in the profession. And yet, uh, we haven't yet been invited to the table to talk about how unionization can, can help fix some of those issues that we're facing. Right. And Liz, one thing I just want to make sure that the viewfinders understand is right now your efforts are are really focused on support staff, vet techs, assistants, all that stuff. Yes. What what do you see for veterinarians? Because you and I know we've had these conversations both together and independently about veterinarians also having you know a stake in unionization. Any any comment on that before we jump into the to the big thing that you guys are doing? Yes, actually, <laughs> I um I think associate veterinarians are are so 
much caught in the middle of yeah. what's happening right now in the veterinary profession. And I, I think they would 100% benefit from organizing and being part of a union. It is a little bit different from the support staff side. So I think while there are a lot of things that we agree on, there are a lot of things that we want where we want the same things. There are also, I think, significant differences in the the goals for an associate veterinarian and the goals for support staff in terms of pay and benefits and and um, autonomy and things like that. So I think there's there's a there are differences while there are also some similarities between the in the struggle in the fight. So we. I have heard from a couple of veterinarians who are interested in organizing. Um, we may have a mechanism for them in the maybe sooner rather than later great, <laughs> to great. explore that option. But I do think that um, the way our union right now, the National Veterinary Professionals Union, the way we're structured, our, our legal you know, framework is that we represent people uh, who are what the labor board calls non-professionals. So right. we are people who do not direct the work of others. That is right. the, that's, so we, that that's why we can't, that's why we right. can't represent veterinarians. Right. But again, I, I appreciate you saying that there are mechanisms in place. I do think this issue will become much more yes, salient as, as corporate, you know, corporatization and consolidation occurs. But Liz, let's start the conversation off today. I think that sometimes people misunderstand, they've been misinformed about what unions are are, what they do, what their purpose. I mean, because let's face it, I mean, the other side has done a great job of kind of demonizing unions over sure. the past few decades. So maybe sure. explain to the viewfinders who aren't, you know, as well versed in union issues, what is it and what do you hope to accomplish and how do you do that? Sure. So a union really at its heart is a group of people coming together to work collectively for change right. or you know, on the other side, to also preserve the things that they love and they want to make sure don't go away. Um, so I think that that is where we are at the at the base. And I think that's something that people don't understand, uh, that the union can create a system where the things that you love, say about your practice or your manufacturing floor or your Amazon warehouse, the things you love about it are preserved and the things that you want to see changed, collective action, collective bargaining gives you a seat at the table and a voice to create that change that you want to see. It's <laughs> it's funny we have to go this far to get a voice, isn't it? You know, that, that that's yeah. what it kind of comes to. But so why are people so scared of unionization? You started that out by saying it's 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 demonized in uh, across a lot of industries, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably all of them, right? Like, <laughs> it, that, that deal with them. But w tell us a little bit about like what what fuels that and kind of. What's your FAQ with people when you're kind of having that, obviously, because they're the first things that people come back to you with? Right. I think that the biggest fear on the, on the, what I will say, we'll, we'll say for convenience, the biggest fear on the other side. I don't like to consider it an other side. I think that if it's done well, if there is engagement in the process, organizing, unionization, contract negotiations are collaborative. They, we work together to create solutions that are, that work for everyone. That's the goal is to be collaborative. What are they afraid of? 
you know, the cynical side of me says they're worried about their bottom line. And I think yeah. for a lot of these large corporations, especially those that are backed by venture capital money, uh, you know, that those yeah. these large yeah. investment firms, they're worried about their bottom line. They are worried that somehow uh, it's going to impact their profits. Uh, that's one thing. That's my cynical side, that that's sure. what all of this comes from. Sure. But then when I see them spending hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars on anti-union campaigns, it's hard for me to believe it's all about money. So what I think it really boils down to is power. They're not willing or interested in actual collaboration and sharing any kind of power in the workplace. Well, as we know, if you let that camel in the tent. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're, you're right, Becky. I mean, so so here's where this is where this this issue just irks me, Liz and Becky, so much because you've got these groups that are buying up clinics all over the country, and here's the story that they tell everybody: We're here for you. We want to make your life better. We're here to help. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, when you're like, "Oh, hey, well, listen, a bunch of us got together, and, and we don't like something, and we want to change something, and we want to preserve something," they're like, "Oh, no, 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 no. Let me yeah. tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to lawyer up." and shut you down. Exactly right. Yes, that's exactly right. And that is, that I will tell you, that is a huge barrier for us because people, they have achieved their goal. You know, Mars Pet Care has achieved its goal of scaring the pants off of veterinary workers. Uh, they have done that with almost no regard for their bottom line, certainly no regard for the people or pets that they that they purport to care about, that they want to provide care for. Uh, they have shut hospitals down. They refuse to bargain with us in good faith. They Now we're seeing the same playbook being employed by another veterinary corporation, Thrive Pet Healthcare. So we're seeing these same kinds of playbook you know, that, that same playbook being employed by other corporations. They're learning from each other. Uh, but they don't understand what they're up against. So I guess break that down a little bit, right? Because I think the average individual doesn't necessarily understand the parts and pieces of this to say that yeah. they are. What is that playbook? What is the concerns? What is fighting it look like, yeah. you know, so yeah. that people can better understand? Yeah, yeah. So when I'm talking about, you know, fighting, I'm talking about the anti-union campaign or union busting. That's what I call it because that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, it they they bring in consultants who they brand as um, informational, you know, information providers. They're here to to give you the whole story because the the union is lying to you about something. I don't know what we're lying about, but apparently we're lying about something. So they bring in these people, they pay them this this corporate this uh consulting firm that came in in, the, in our most recent two anti-union campaigns, same anti-union consultant. Wow. Uh, they pay $400 an hour plus expenses, plus travel. This, this particular company is based in California. Our latest campaign in New York, they sent their union buster to New York for weeks on end. Um, and what these consultants do is hold what are called captive audience meetings. So they force employees to sit in meetings where they talk about all of the anti-union stuff, all the reason unions are bad. I don't know if either of you could watch 
uh, last week tonight with John Oliver. He mm-hmm. did a fantastic episode on union busting. And I watched that episode and the whole episode, I was just yelling at my husband. Oh my God, <laughs> that's what they did where we were. Oh my God, that's what they did there. I mean, they do the same thing everywhere to try and break the union. They use, you know, in among the union folks, we talk about smears, fears, and tears. So on the smear side, they're going to come in, they're going to say, oh, you know, look at the longshore, look at the history of the longshore workers union. Look at all the terrible things they've done throughout history. Look at the corruption they've had, you know, in their 150 or 200 year history of the organization, right? They're going to point to all of that and they're going to say, oh yeah, and look at their organizer. He just works in a bookstore. What does he know about veterinary medicine or about unions? You know, forgetting the fact that he's been an organizer for 20 years or whatever it might be. So that's the smears. They don't have a lot on us. I don't know why. I I don't know why they don't talk about me. They don't talk about (laughs) NVPU, but um, they talk about our partners. Then they have the fears. So they say, oh, you know, we're not going to bargain with you. You're going to get less at the bargaining table than you have right now. Uh, You won't be able to talk to your manager. Your manager won't be able to help you on the floor anymore like they are now. These are the fears. All of these things are untrue. (laughs) And then they have the tears. Why would you do this to us? I thought we were like a family. Don't you know how much we care about you? We had no idea that these problems were so bad. Give us some time to fix what you've you've now brought to our attention. Oh, we can't believe it. Usually what's involved there is they'll fire a manager or you know, a hospital manager or a supervisor or something like that and say, look, we fixed the problem. We fired the person. So are you happy now? Are you going to get rid of your union effort? So that's what the anti-union campaign looks like. Their goal is to divide the staff, set the staff at each other rather than allowing the group to be focused on um, what the corporation is doing. So just because I'm not a huge fan of getting sued, I want to back up a little bit here (laughs) and talk about why Thrive got a call out specifically, because I want to be fair um, as to why you specifically, not the viewfinder or any of the posts or any of its opinions. We we are not expressing the opinions of this. (laughs) But I'm just saying, why why Thrive get the call out right now? Yeah, we so we just completed a union campaign at a, a Thrive practice in Rochester, New York. We This group reached out to me um, in, I think it was June or July of last year, and said, look, we got bought in May. They have changed all of our PTO, the way our, our time off is accrued, the way we can use it. Uh, we're, we're not happy about that. Uh, we want We've tried to work through management to get answers. They, they're not answering us. We think we need to unionize. And so we went through a lot of conversation. They, bu- they, they built their structure for organizing. Um, they started the process of creating their union at this practice in Rochester. We were super excited. This is our first partnership with the machinists, which is the I-A-M-A-W, the Machinist Union. They uh, are a huge union, um, and they are partnering with us in areas that the Longshore Union um, doesn't cover. So we've been partnered with the Longshore Union on the 
West Coast, and now we're partnering with the machinists kind of everywhere else. So they came in, really helped us with our organizing campaign, um, and we we got to the point where we had people had signed union authorization cards, which is kind of the first step uh, in an official organizing campaign because that's when uh, we take those cards, we take those cards to the National Labor Relations Board and say, we have a majority of the people in this workplace that want to bargain collectively. Here's the proof that we have the people that want to do this. And so we want, um, we're petitioning for recognition of our collective bargaining unit. That's when the company usually gets notified. Uh, so the company heard that. Uh, they didn't like that. <laughs> Right. And that's when they started waging their anti-union campaign, which is entirely within their rights. This is part of what the National Labor Relations Act allows for. It allows for workers to get together collectively, to bargain collectively, and it allows for companies to present their side of the argument of why workers shouldn't organize. And part of that is usually hiring an anti-union uh consulting firm who comes in to do these captive audience meetings. In fact, in this in this particular campaign, um, they flew the COO of Thrive from Texas up to New York to meet with everybody. They brought in uh, some other worker from Texas to come and talk to the workers in <laughs> New York <laughs> about thrive, I guess. It was unclear why that person was there, but they had no problem like spending all this money to try and short short circuit or derail the the organizing campaign. Gosh, how many raises could that money have, have right. initiated? Wow. Right. I mean, literally hundreds of thousands, if not over a million dollars on, and we're talking at, at this practice in Rochester, 130 employees. So they easily could have given folks a nice, either a retention bonus, a COVID hazard pay bonus, uh, a raise, <laughs> any number of things that they could have done with that money. Um, so then they made an argument that uh, because they did, they just want to delay and delay and delay. When companies delay organizing efforts, it only it benefits the company because it is really hard work to organize. So these folks are working full-time job at the animal hospital and then in their free time on a voluntary basis they are organizing their co-workers they're talking about the issues that they're seeing they're meeting with me they're meeting with the machinist organizer you know all of these things are they're doing on their own time because they want to create positive change for themselves for their co-workers for their hospital uh, but it's a huge ask and it takes a lot of mental energy a lot of emotional energy to do this work on the ground. So as they delay it longer and longer and longer, uh, people who aren't really close to the organizing effort don't understand what's happening. They just think nothing is happening. And the company, of course, blames the union for that when there are delays like this. And that erodes the support of the union. Uh, and that is a, that's a major strategy for union busting is to just keep delaying everything as much as possible within, within the letter of the law. <laughs> right. 
And Liz, I can tell you, I mean, you yourself, Tara McGrin, and all those people there on the on the on the on the floor at, mm-hmm. at that that clinic. I mean, McGrain is as a hero. These are courageous conversations. But a couple of quick things I just want to ask you to update us because it, I mean, this thing is is happening right now. It is. So back uh, January fourteenth, they had a vote by yes. the the members of Thrive, and so uh, just to reiterate, sixty five voted in favor of unionization to twenty eight who opposed. So yes. that's a two to one thing. So. At that point, Thrive issued a statement, and I want to get your opinion because things have changed since this. So the vote goes two to one to unionize. Thrive finds out the next day or whenever, and they, they issued this statement that I want to read. Uh, and again, just to be fair and balanced as, as we can be. Uh, we firmly believe, this is Thrive Pet Healthcare, we firmly believe that our teams are better served without union representation, but respect the election-related process. We remain committed to creating a supportive and thriving environment for our teams and serving our patients and pet families. Now, this was immediately after the vote to unionize, but what has happened since then? Yes. So since then, what happens is the vote happens. There's a vote count that's done, and then the vote is certified. So basically, there's a NLRB process, a Labor Relations Board po- process that they go through to certify the election, right? They recount the ballots or whatever they do. It's in, yeah. the, in their back end. Uh, so th- that takes about 10 days. So the vote was certified. We got notification that the vote was certified. Fantastic. So we are started moving forward to get ready to meet thrive at the bargaining table to start talking about a contract. Uh, and we just got notice, in fact, just today, <laughs> which is at the very edge of the legal deadline for this to happen, is Thrive has opted to appeal the NLRB's decision. So this is another delaying tactic. This is not a normal part of union organizing. Um, this is strictly for delay. So what they are saying is that the employees, the workers at VSES are not what they call an appropriate bargaining unit, which wow. is, isn't a legal term at all. What they are trying to say is that the entire group has to be considered a unit. So for context, this group, it was 16 veterinary practices, 15 GPs, I believe maybe 14 GPs, and a specialty practice. So that is what a group of veterinarians had built in the Rochester area. They sold the entire group as a group. They sold the group to Pathway at the time, now Thrive. Uh, But that being said, these hospitals have no connection with each other. They don't share on the ground management. Yes, they all have the same regional manager, but they don't share management among the hospitals. They don't share staff. We're talking about a huge difference between a specialty practice, a 24-7 practice staffed with veterinary specialists of all stripes versus general practices that are open just, you know, eight to seven or whatever it might be, seeing their regular, your regular GP stuff. So there's a really huge difference between the specialty practice and the GP practices, number one. Number two, they don't share anything among each other. They don't share a budget. They don't share purchasing power. They don't share management. Employees are not shared in the in the group. So the idea that the specialty hospital VSES isn't quote unquote appropriate is just, it makes no sense. It is as if, I know a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with this, with the efforts at Starbucks. So it's, it, it's as if Starbucks 
tried to say that all of the uh, all of the Starbucks stores in the city of San Francisco, if one of them votes to organize, oh, no, 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 that's not appropriate. You have to get all of the stores to organize. Everybody needs to vote, which, funnily enough, Starbucks did try that argument in Buffalo under the same NLRB region that we wow. had our argument. And the cases were heard about a week apart. And the NLRB made the same decision in both of those cases, that individual stores are, quote unquote, appropriate bargaining units for Starbucks. And I have every faith it's going to be the same for us, that individual hospitals within a practice are going to be considered, within a you know a larger corporate group, are going to be considered, quote unquote, appropriate. So, okay, for, for me to break this all down, um, that's what's happening in that situation. Mm-hmm. So it conveys to me, j- just layperson, not read up or well-versed on unions, that, like, everyone has to have a say in this, that everyone in the facility has to be pro-union. And I think this is an area where things can get a little scary. So can you talk to us like you would talk to a brand-new hospital? Mm-hmm. And I know I'm kind of derailing from the, the particular situation no. that's happening, but explain that process because it's not true. Everyone doesn't have to join and it doesn't have to be forced on you, right? That's 100% right. 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 Yes, thank you, Becky, because that is like a big anti-union, you know, talking point is that, oh, yeah, this if you all don't agree with the union, you know, you'll lose your job. Okay, not true. You, you, no one can be forced to join a union. So that's number one. Uh, We, unions are, probably among the most democratic institutions in American life. Uh, they Everything is decided by the majority, not by any one person, not by a small subset of the people. You have to have a majority. You can't even file for a union election. The, the, the very bare minimum you need is 30% of the workers to agree that they want a union, but you can't win a union election with 30%. It has to be 50% plus one. So it has to be a majority of the workers to say, yes, we want a union. Once the union is there, you don't have to join the union. We want you to join the union, of course, uh, for all kinds of reasons, but you don't have to join the union. There, There are a whole host of reasons why anyone might not want to join a union, and that is okay. The union is still going to fight for improvements, and they're still going to ask for your input into what you want to see happen at the practice. Uh, so no one's going to force anybody to do anything. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's not that's how important. we work. Yeah. Well, I think it's important because I think it's a it's a a, a, a misnomer. So yeah. All right. Be fair. Balance your own scales here. Oh. To that point, what could some of the disadvantages be? Is there ever yeah. a time you go in and you say you really don't need to unionize? This is not appropriate. <laughs> well, you know. We're not working to organize private practices, for example. And there are, I th- we talked about this, I think, the last time I was on. Yes. You know, the, you are working oftentimes hand in hand, sometimes literally, with the owner of that practice. And you have a voice in your practice. You can go to your practice owner, who is the decision maker for what's happening in your practice, and you can work to discuss the changes that you want to see and provide the evidence that they want to see and work to create those changes. But in these large corporations where these management structures are 
opaque uh, or difficult to penetrate in any case for the for the typical person, you know, just on the floor who isn't happy about the way their PTO is being handled, right? You can't right. talk to someone about that. You can't have a discussion with them about that. So what the union does is it brings that power in for that to happen. But in private practices, you know, most... I don't know the private practice veterinarian who's pulling down like $10 million a year in salary, for example. Nope. <laughs> no, 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 nor do I. <laughs> but, but that's, you're right. This, this part of the scale, like the, we're trying yes. to give you an individual in a clinic a voice and a much right. larger, because I'm telling you guys, we are, it is, it is being lost rapidly. Right. right. And that's, that is, I think, Dr. Ernie, to go back to your point about associate veterinarians, it's the same for them. Yeah, they have yeah. that exact same struggle. They can't get decisions that they want made. I don't think any veterinarian is happy that there isn't, um, that they don't have trained, skilled, educated, longtime people to work alongside in their practices. It's exhausting for them to not know who they're working with. Right. To not have that those people stick around and people aren't sticking around for all kinds of reasons. But I truly believe that organizing, working to give you some power back in the workplace to give you your voice will encourage people to stay at practices longer. Yeah. And Liz, just to, to further support some of the pushback. So when this latest stuff started up, um, you know, I was involved with, the, you know, was in a conversation with people and, and they were anti-union, right? And they're like, oh, can you believe this stuff? And of course, here I am, very pro. <laughs> so so it was a, it's always interesting, but people expect that from me anyway. But regardless, here's what they said. And you've heard this and, and Thrive uses this and, and Mars, everybody uses this. And they go, you know what? Thanks for bringing it to our attention. We're working on that. Mm -hmm. Or we don't need a union mm -hmm. to solve these problems. Like that's an overreach, right? You, you, I mean, you hear that over and over again. And, and here's what I say to that. I'm like, okay, those people already tried that, <laughs> you yeah. know, like you had time and yeah. they, they've gotten now to the point where they are willing to risk their personal reputation because you yes. said the smears, that's where they start, right? Yes. They are, are worried about losing their job. That's where the fears come in, right? Yes. I mean, so these, this is heavy handed stuff. So imagine you've pushed somebody so far yes. that they feel like this is all I can do. And that's yes. kind of how I feel a lot of these people like uh, Tara McGrain and others, you know, around the country are feeling. I mean, maybe yes. I'm off base, but that's, again, you know, that's how I read it. You are not off base. You are, you are, you have no problem getting on to first base. You are there. You both <laughs> feet on the base. You are right. That is it. People are pushed so far. This so Thrive is the most recent practice to vote to organize, but on the West Coast with the longshore workers, we're negotiating a contract at a small corporate practice in Washington. And that was their situation. This is a small corporation, not of the scale of Thrive or Mars Pet Healthcare. And they tried for months to get a meeting with the owner of the corp, you know, of wow. their group. They could not get a meeting. They just got nowhere, and it wasn't until they actually started working towards organizing that anyone paid any attention to them. 
So, you know, I think um, it's important for everyone to have a voice and to feel like they have a voice. And I think it does lead to some of the mental health issues, um, some of the helplessness, you know, lack of resiliency that we can see in our industry. And we see so many more practices going corporate. And so it's important. And obviously, we're going to give you the opportunity to sort of, um, you know, make sure people know where to go, uh, how to organize if they want to organize, and what makes ideal candidates and such like that. What I hate is that people, I and, and I wonder if it doesn't lead to the negative connotation because you're saying people are driven to organize. Does this always have to be? Is there a proactive role to organizing? What do you say to technicians who come to you and say like, hey, we're getting bought out. Should we organize? Because what I hear from you is this sounds like a very last resort. Yeah, I I would like it to not be as much of a last resort. I would like for people to reach out to me before they are one and a half feet out of the door of their practice. That is, Those are the people I hear from most often is, well, I'm leaving, but these, these folks here, they really need a union. The people who are staying, they really yeah. need a union. But yeah. I'm leaving. I can't put up with this anymore. Um, but they, you know, that's because they really need a union. And those people, you know, I, I have to say, well, thank you. I appreciate you reaching out to me. Please have your coworkers who are still working in the practice reach out to me because you really, it, this is an on the ground grassroots effort. I would love for people to have things that they love about their corporate practice that they want to preserve. So this is something I think that is, that we don't talk about enough when we talk about organizing and, and unions is that if you have something you love about your practice, you love the CE benefits, you love the way they do your vacation, anything that you love, the company can take that away at any time without talking to you, without consulting you, without asking you what you think, they can change it. They can change anything they want. When you have a union in place, they cannot change things without coming to the union first to talk about it. Now, that doesn't mean the union's automatically going to say, no, you can't. We absolutely refuse for you to give better vacation to your people. Why would we do that? That would be dumb. Uh, no, you can't give raises to your people. No, not at all. But I will give you an example. This practice in Washington um, made an announcement, a public announcement, that they were going to open back up and let clients back in the building. And, um, you know, he, right now, in, in, well, while we're in this COVID, this Omicron surge for context, um, and the staff was concerned about it. They were worried about letting um, clients back in without a clear plan. It wasn't clear to them what the plan was. Because that's a change in working conditions, it gave us an opportunity to come to the bargaining table. We're still negotiating the contract, but the union is there, meaning we have the right to say, we want to talk about this before you implement this plan. We want to talk about how you're going to do it, how you're going to ensure everyone's safety. What are you going to do for the people who are at higher risk, who don't want to be in a room smaller than six feet across with people? Like, how are we going to, what are we going to do about this? And that was such a, for me, like an immediate 
value of what a union right. brings right, right there yeah. here we are you're concerned about a change the company doesn't care about your concern they're like we're going forward with this plan but with a union you don't have to you're it's not your only option to like quit right or say well i'm not coming into work as long as you're going to do that or whatever it is one person can't create that can't be heard, right? Can't create what what it is they want to see. So this gave us an opportunity to help protect people, um, yeah, yeah. and against something that a corporation wanted to do. So, yeah, proactively, I would love for people to say, "My practice is so great. I want to keep everything the way it is. <laughs> Please, let's organize so that we can make sure that we have it. Like we have a legal standing. We have promises that have to be kept, and and that's what a union does." So you said t- you're not aiming for private practices. You're not right. You're not aiming for people who have the ability to access management and to have conversations. Right. But what about those folks who can't get any leeway in <laughs> a private practice, right? And they're like, "Well, we've tried, but they don't listen." Yeah. Are they not eligible to join? Does the entire practice have to join? Is there an ability to be a technician and be part of a union that your practice isn't? Yeah. As of right now, so th- there's a little bit of overlap between trade unions and labor unions. So right now, we don't have a trade union for veterinary technicians, you know, like the carpenters union right. or the plumbers union or the electricians union, right? Something like that. So we don't have that structure yet. <laughs> yet. What we have are labor unions, and that is a practice-by-practice effort. So people in private practice, while I think organizing, you know, actually going through all of the legality and the hoops that you need to go through to get organized legally under the NLRB, um, I think for most private practices, that doesn't make a lot of sense, um, both for the economies of scale, all of the other stuff that comes with the union that you kind of have to do, you know, to make sure it's functioning and all of these things, you can use the same techniques that we use in union organizing to create solidarity with your coworkers and go together as a group and bargain collectively yourselves. The thing that's missing is that legal requirement that the company keep its promises. Right, right. right. So what you have is you have then all you're relying on at that point is your solidarity with your coworkers. So all of you being on the same page, working together to ask for the change that you want to see. Right. And that's a huge distinction. And I appreciate you bring that out. Well, Liz, as, as we sort of wrap up today's conversation, which again, I can't thank you enough for all the, the tireless efforts that you're, you're doing and, and the personal you know sacrifices that you're making. Somebody that's listening today says, I'd like to learn more. What can they do? Where do they go? Yes. So they can visit our website, which is www.natvpu.org, or they can email me at communications at natvpu.org, or you can find me on Facebook. You can message me on Facebook. I am Liz Houston on Facebook. Uh, I know that you all will put up my headshot yes. with this episode, so you can <laughs> find the right uh, <laughs> profile when you when you look on Facebook, um, and you can message me there as well. We, I am always happy to talk to whether you are in private practice, whether you are in a corporate practice. I am always happy to talk to folks about how to help them get their voice back in their practice. And for me, that has been 
so rewarding about doing this work is to watch people become re-engaged in what they're doing, revitalized to, um, to see hope come back for them, hope that they can create change that makes them want to stay in the profession longer. Liz, before I let you go, I just want to say, well, so first of all, I just also want to say um, Liz is a huge supporter of the tree. And so we thank you for that because it's a big deal uh, to me personally. But, you know, I have I've said on here before that there are some individuals in the profession who have been able to stick their necks out because they don't have a fear of being blacklisted or they already are and they can just sort of move forward comfortably. And I, I recognize you as one of those individuals who has stuck her neck out for other individuals who can't they they really have got to kind of stay on the low and and um they want better but they aren't maybe able to voice it in the same way and so i appreciate you kind of taking a platform you built for yourself and taking your confidence in who you are and your pride in your profession to push this initiative um regardless of what you think about the initiative itself you have to respect the um education and the insight and the determination you bring to it Becky, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> well, Liz, Liz, you give so much hope because we're in an era right now where people are starting to talk about these more openly, frankly, and demanding change. And yeah. honestly, this is one of those pieces of the puzzle that we have to put together, guys, or the picture moving forward is not going to be cheery. And I got to tell you, guys, please go check out NAT VPU. We'll have all of the uh, links down in the uh, show notes today, but definitely check out Liz and, and the website NAT vpu.org definitely find out and you know liz the last thing i want to say about this the reason that what i think is so important the message that you're sharing with us is so important is because it it actually causes tremendous ripple effect throughout the industry right when you're talking about these things like like they are in at the thrive clinic up in in new york i mean they're actually talking about you know hey we're, we're working these crazy long shifts and we don't have proper ptos and all this stuff that helps you in your day-to-day -day job so thank you thank you thank you once again Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I also, I want to put in a little plug for those of you, I'm not sure when this episode comes out, but those of you who are planning to be at WVC, they, I will be presenting about unions at WVC. They were kind enough to, um, offer me a place <laughs> after, <laughs> after after I asked for one. Uh, they did offer me a spot to speak at WVC Good. because they publicized a, um, a sponsored talk that's an anti-union talk, um, in which it was, it was very funny when I read the description of it because it's how to legally prevent your staff from forming a union. Like, well, there wow. is no legal way to, to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe they, they actually said that. Yeah, it's in it's actually in the printed description of the lecture. Um, so th I, I am very pleased that, that the Viticus yeah, group yeah. has given me a spot to talk about this issue on the other side, to present right. the, the full picture. Um, and so if you're going to be there on Sunday, March 6th, please come. Um, if you're going to be in Vegas, I would love to meet you. I would love to have you hear uh, what I have to say. Gosh, so courageous. Well, Viewfinders, what do you think about unionization in the veterinary profession? Is, is it time? Is it past time? Or is it not quite there yet? We really want to hear your thoughts and opinions on this very important topic. You know where to find us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder, on Instagram, and you can tweet at Dr. Ernie, maybe, Liz, I don't know if, <laughs> if you do the tweeting, uh, at Vet Viewfinder. 
on Twitter. <laughs> That's right, guys. Well, until next week, keep your chins up. Keep hoping for the best. And with people like Liz out there fighting for all of us, I got to tell you, I'm still optimistic for the future. We will talk to you next week. Bye. 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 Thanks so much for having me.